Uh, well, we are in the book of Exodus, and we're studying the book of Exodus together, and we are in chapter 20 today. And uh, this is a passage that's familiar to many, many people. Much of Exodus is familiar to many people, whether they know the word of God or not. And uh, this one, you've probably heard of as we get into it. Have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, you've probably heard of them. Now, I wonder, how many can you name? That's okay. You can, you can cheat later. We're going to look them all up. So with that, let me pray. And then we're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus again and for your grace to us. And Lord, thank you that these commands are fulfilled perfectly by Jesus. That uh, we're no longer under them or under the law, but we're under grace, as Paul writes. But that's all because of Jesus' obedience. So this morning, as we, uh, as we look at these things and as I teach through them, as we learn some things together about them, Lord, I pray that uh, you uh, would remind us of our identity and that in living out these commands, it's not to earn your favor, but it's because of your favor. So teach us this morning, I pray. And Lord, I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 20 is where we find the Ten Commandments. And I just wonder, uh, when you hear the term Ten Commandments, what's your first thought? What's your first thought when you hear the term the Ten Commandments? Maybe it's Charlton Heston and that old movie, right? The Ten Commandments of the story of Moses. Uh, maybe when you hear the Ten Commandments, uh, maybe your mind goes to stuffy religiosity. Do you know what I mean by that? Just kind of stuffy old church curmudgeon religious people. Maybe that's what you think of when you hear the Ten Commandments. Uh, maybe your mind goes towards politics. Yeah, I know about the Ten Commandments and they're not in our school anymore. And that's just anathema and on and on and on down the line. Maybe when you hear the Ten Commandments, uh, you think stone tablets, big stone tablets. That's what I think of, like Captain Caveman, stone tablets, Ten Commandments. That's what comes to my mind. If you're like most people, though, when you hear the Ten Commandments, you likely think a bunch of rules. I know that's often what the world thinks. And anyone apart from Jesus often thinks when they hear the Ten Commandments, it's a bunch of rules. And when we hear that, we hear it negatively. Uh, The world certainly does. And that's because we kind of default to this religious nature where everyone does, where our identity is somehow earned. That it sounds like rules because if I, okay, so if I obey those Ten Commandments, then God's going to love me. When I get to the end of my life and I stand before Jesus... Uh, I'm going to be judged by how well I kept those Ten Commandments. Maybe that's what you think. Or maybe that's even what you've wrongly been taught. Uh, But some kind of rules. And and a lot of times we tend to think this way. One, because it's our default. But also, uh, many of us have come out of churches like that. Where they were a bunch of rules. And maybe even in your church, they weren't a bunch of rules. They just appeared that way. That like, if I do this, then I'll be accepted. Even if that's not necessarily what the church you grew up in taught. For me, when I think of the Ten Commandments, I think of this little book. Luther's Small Catechism. This rode with me on the bus every Thursday night from kindergarten through eighth grade out to my church as a little boy. And uh, in here, I had one section here I marked, the Ten Commandments. And on every command, we had to memorize it. We had to recite it. 
And then we also had to recite, what does this mean? So, I mean, I'm telling you, as a kid, I had a good chunk of this little catechism memorized. I didn't have any idea really what it meant or how it connected to my heart, but I knew it. And it served me well later to know those things. But when I really thought about the Ten Commandments, I just thought, oh, that's some rules. Those are some things I need to memorize. Somehow, if I do enough good things, God will love me until I got into high school and realized, no, it's all about his grace that he loves you. And these are just commands of how to live. The end result then is when we hear, and for me, for much of my life, when I heard the phrase that God said, don't do this. I assumed it was because he was some stuffy curmudgeon as well, who didn't want anybody to have fun. And while church, every church has its share of curmudgeons, that's, that's not God. He's not that way. In fact, uh, here's what I want you to hear, and this will set up our our time this morning, because today, really, we're going to look through the Ten Commandments. Today will be a little different. It'll be more teaching, me just kind of explaining some things about them, uh, teaching through them briefly than maybe a normal message would be. Uh, But I want all of this teaching to be framed with this statement. When God says don't, do you know what he's really saying? He's saying don't hurt yourself. When God says don't, what he's really saying is don't hurt yourself. Don't do that because if you do that, it'll end in your hurt. See, the Ten Commandments, they're full of both admonitions, do this, and prohibitions, don't do that. But all of it ultimately is for your good. God gives these rules for the good of his people. And when God says don't, he's not saying don't because he's a curmudgeon, doesn't want you to have any fun. In fact, he wants you to enjoy life to the fullest the way that he designed it. So when he says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. That's why he says don't. I mean, think about it. If you even had, God is a father, we're his children if you've trusted Jesus. And uh, if you even had mediocre parents, they probably had some good rules for you. Would you agree? Now, maybe they had some weird rules too. I don't know. Everybody's... Got some weird stories. But my guess is your parents at least probably had some good rules. You know? Uh, Don't stick the screwdriver in the outlet. Why? Because don't hurt yourself. (laughs) But it's fun. Yeah, don't hurt yourself. Don't touch the hot stove. What's that really mean? Don't hurt yourself. Don't play with matches. Don't burn the house down. Don't beat on your brother. He's bigger than you. I mean, there's always, the don'ts are always, they're for your good. They're for your good. And even if you had parents who maybe weren't the greatest parents, chances are they still had some rules that were ultimately for your good. And God, of course, is a perfect father who loves you perfectly. And his rules are for your good. When he says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. So now with that, let's talk a little bit about these Ten Commandments. To give you a little background of the story, where they come from, uh, God's people had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They were slaves for over 400 years, and they called out to God to rescue them, and he raised up this guy Moses, who uh, had plenty of his own problems, but God still used him to rescue his people. He leads them miraculously out of Egypt, uh, taking them to the land that he had promised to their great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham. 
And they cross the Red Sea miraculously. Then God uh, slays all of Egypt's army behind them by closing the sea in around them. He provides food and water for them in the desert. And now they've, we, we saw last Sunday, they get to Mount Sinai where God is going to speak to them. And all of last Sunday was really a preparatory moment for God to speak and give these commands to his people. And these commands, he's telling them how they're supposed to live once they get into the land. So let's just talk a little bit about the Ten Commandments before we even read them all. Here's some things about them. First off, I just said it. They're given as instructions for how God's people are to live life in the land that he promised to them. He's saying, hey, okay, listen. I'm I'm taking you into a great place, but there's a few ground rules. If you really want to thrive in this place as my children, here's here's how you ought to live. You know, it's kind of like anything else. When uh, you go to orientation before you start school or before you start college, and they give you some ground rules of, hey, if you really want to thrive, here's some things you should do. Right? Except these are much weightier than just some suggestions. They're actually commands of God of how they're to live as his people. Now notice, they come, these commands don't come before God says, you're my children, but they come after he says, you're my children. In other words, they're not going to do these commands so that God will love them and accept them as his kids. They're supposed to do these commands because of the very fact that God has made them his kids. And he's made you his children if you've trusted Jesus. And so if that's who you are, now go live it out. Everything else in life is never living from your identity. It's trying to achieve an identity. If you do this good enough, you'll make the team. If you do this well enough, you'll get that job. If you study hard enough, you'll get the grade. If you uh, get enough likes, you'll maybe truly be loved on Instagram. Everything else in the world, religion included, religion included, that if you do enough good things, that's religion, that God will love you. It's all directed toward an identity, but true Christianity, true followers of Jesus, they know, no, 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 no. My identity is secure in Jesus Christ, and I don't live toward it, I live from it. And these commands are no different. These are commands of how they're to live out their identity. Does that make sense? Here's something else about the Ten Commandments. Uh, They can be divided into two distinct groups. The first four, we're going to talk more about this in a little while, so I'm not going to stay here very long, but the first four of the ten are very vertical in orientation. In other words, they're how we relate to God. There's four vertical commands, and then there's six horizontal commands of how we relate to one another. We'll come back to this a little later. The other thing about the Ten Commandments, did you know they were spoken before they were ever written down? And that they were spoken not just to Moses, but they were spoken in the hearing of everyone. Imagine if some Sunday morning we're sitting here and I'm teaching and we begin to hear God speak like his actual voice. I'm sitting down first off, right? That's what happens here. They gather around the mountain. God comes down and he speaks in the hearing of everyone. Everyone heard these commands. Did you know that? Everyone heard his voice. In fact, when these commands are repeated in Deuteronomy, 
By the way, just a little thing. Do you know the, the name Deuteronomy means second law? It's the second telling of pretty much everything in Exodus. Because it's told 40 years later for a new generation after the first generation failed and had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So the second time it's told, look at, look at what we read about the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 5, these words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, the thick darkness, with a loud voice. And he added no more, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. He gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, he's speaking to the people, he's saying, when you heard the voice, everybody heard it. In Exodus 20, a little verse after we finished today, verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, Thus shall shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. Everyone heard his voice. Everyone heard it. What must that have been like to hear God's voice? They had seen his power, but now they hear his distinct voice speak to them. Uh, well, they were spoken first, but eventually they're codified on tablets of stone. God knew that even in hearing his voice, uh, we're forgetful people. And they would likely forget. So he said, let me just write this down for you. And he sends it down with Moses from the mountain. Did you know, too, another thing about the Ten Commandments, that they are not the only commands given by God? Sometimes when we hear the Ten Commandments, especially uh, maybe if, if you just haven't been a part of church or it's not in your background, you might think, okay, those are God's commands. But really, they ought to be called the first Ten Commandments because they're the first of 613 commands that God goes on to give his people of how they're supposed to live in the land. It's just the first 10 of 613 They were never, by the way, given for salvation either. Some people view Christianity as this, like God has rules and if I follow the rules, God will love me and save me. But that's not what happened in Exodus. God loved them, saved them, then told them how to live. See, uh, salvation is not the reward for obedience. It's the response for obedience. It's the reason for obedience. Salvation is the reason we obey, not the reward for obeying. And these commands, they're they're lived out perfectly only by Jesus Christ. Only by Jesus. Peter wrote, he said, he, Jesus, committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. You know, you and I, we can never do enough. Again, these commands are not to earn salvation, but they're a result of it. They're, They're to live out your salvation. You know, there was a guy who came to Jesus... And he he comes to Jesus. Let me just read it with you. In Matthew 19, a man came to him. He said, teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? I think a lot of people, myself included at some point in my life, believed that if I did enough good things, if I obeyed enough of the commands, then God would love me. That's exactly this guy here, right? He's like, hey, Jesus, what do I have to do? How much? How many good things so that I can inherit eternal life? And Jesus, he actually quotes the Ten Commandments. Check it out. He says, at least a handful of me, he said, uh, first off, why do you ask me what's good? There's only one who's good, meaning it's a claim of Jesus' deity, saying, I'm, I'm God if you're calling me good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And the guy's like, well, which ones? He's like, what do you mean which ones? The Ten. 
And all of them for that matter. Jesus said, well, like, you know, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this guy was pretty pious and pretty proud. Because look at his response. The young man said to him, I keep all those. I've kept all of those. What do I still lack? (laughs) Well, of course, he hadn't kept all of them. But even if he had, Jesus goes on. That's not the only ten. He said, if you were to be perfect, then go. Sell what you possess. Give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Well, why was he sorrowful? Because he could never do enough to earn God's favor. And neither can you, and neither can I. It's never enough on your own. It never is. And in fact, the law, the Ten Commandments, and those 613 commands are, are often referred to as the law, as God's law. And, and Paul tells us that the law actually, it reveals how sinful we are and how in need of a Savior we are. I mean, how many of you, if we start going down the list of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods. You shall not worship idols. Uh, you know, you get down to a little further, down to five. Honor your father and mother. Like, I was doing good, and then, oh, I'm out. <laughs> like, I've mouthed off before. Like, they reveal how sinful you and I really are. Paul said this in Romans chapter 7. He said, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? No. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. James tells us if you break just one little piece of the law, you break all of it. You can never do enough to earn your salvation. Perfection is what's required. And Jesus is the only one who perfectly fulfilled them. And one last thing before we get into reading through this passage. Uh, One thing to keep in mind is sometimes we think of Jesus having uh, fulfilled the commands or maybe even abolished them. But he didn't abolish them. He in fact says, I didn't come to abolish but to fulfill the commands. And did you know that uh, each time Jesus teaches on one of the commands... He actually doesn't just like teach, okay, here's how it is. And he doesn't like lower the standard. He says, here's what you've heard Moses say. Here's what I say. (laughs) He actually raises the bar. For instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus says, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, any man who has even lusted after a woman in his heart is guilty of adultery. And every guy in here, 95% of you, and the other five who won't admit it, we're out. Right? You're out. Or, or then he says, then he teaches on murder. He's like, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, Jesus actually ups the ante. He says, if you've ever hated a brother in your heart, hated your brother in your heart, you're guilty of murder. Jesus actually makes it a higher bar than the Ten Commandments. It's pretty incredible. And he didn't abolish them. He fulfilled them. Why? So that you and I could be granted this new identity to then actually live them out. So we've covered some intro material on the commandments. Now let's read the account. Remember the setup? They've come to Mount Sinai. They're at Mount Sinai. I showed you this picture last Sunday. This is what uh, the description looks like. This is a volcano in Mexico in April of 2015, Mount Cervantes. 
erupting. And uh, here's the account. This is just this is a picture that comes to my mind, and I'm sure it was even more intense than this. But in Exodus 19, it says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And you got the scene, right? You're standing in front of this mountain. God had told Moses, he said, uh, put up some barriers around the mountain so they don't come too close and die. And uh, just stay at a distance. And I'm going to come and I'm going to meet with you. So all the people, uh, trembling because they had heard a loud trumpet, call them to this point. It says they were trembling in Exodus 19. Uh, They're coming to meet with God. And now God speaks to them in Exodus 20. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. They're like, oh yeah, I remember that. That was, that was pretty cool. This is him. This is him. Out of the house of slavery. And then he starts giving commands because of who they are. In chapter 19, he says, you'll be my children. I'll be your God. I'll dwell among you. Because of who you are, now here come the commands. Here's how to live it out. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and to the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Number three in verse seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Number four in verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In other words, made it separate. Number five in verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Number six, verse 13, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And in verse 17, number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that's your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet And the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But don't let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you. That the fear of him may be before you so that you may not sin. My guess is if God did just show up and start speaking to us. The next couple days would be some of the most holy of our lives. But then we would probably revert just like the Israelites did. Because we can never do it perfectly. Only Jesus can. So the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. 
So we're going to work through these really briefly. This could uh, constitute an entire series of messages, right? But we're just going to cover them uh, kind of a Cliff Notes version today. But here's how I would summarize the Ten Commandments. First off, we already talked about when God says don't, what he really means is don't hurt yourself. And when he gives his commands, what he's giving his people, and ultimately what he's giving us, is a moment-to-moment choice. And you've heard me say this before, but there's a choice that we face when it comes to obedience. On the one hand, if I choose to sin, I'm choosing to suffer, to suffer the consequences. It's my choice. It's your choice. If I'm warned, don't touch the hot stove and I lay my hand on the burner, whose fault is that? God's or mine? My mom's or mine? My mom, because she left it on, or mine, because I touched it after she said, don't touch it. It's mine. I chose to sin. I chose to suffer. Now, if I choose to obey, on the other hand, I'm choosing God's blessing, his favor. Now, this is not related in any way, shape, or form to being saved, okay? This is related in every shape and form to living out that identity. This comes after your salvation, not before it. This is, are you going to live out who you really are? And when you live out who you really are, when you choose to sin, you're going to suffer. But when you choose to obey, you're going to grow more and more and more and more and more into that identity and security in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So it's a choice. All of these are a choice. Uh, Jesus summarizes them and all of the law in Matthew 22. Did you know, I, I told you already, there's how many commands? Can you remember? 613. These are just the first 10 of 613. Now, uh, Jesus was not uh, uh, the favorite person of the religious leaders of that time. Why? Because, well, for one, they're like, well, here's the rules and we're keeping them. Why aren't you? And Jesus says, oh, you think that's the rule? Actually, this is the rule. You're not keeping it. You didn't make it either. And because then he actually lives it out and they, they can't contradict him. So they're like, oh, we got to trap him. We got to trap this new teacher. Here's what we're going to do. Let's huddle up. And they huddle up and they're like, okay, we got 613 commands, right? Check. You're going to take the first five. I'm going to take the next 20. We're going to go to him and we're just going to, we're going to go down the list. We're going to be like, hey, Jesus, what's the most important command? And as soon as he says one of those, I'm going to counter with these. And then when he says one of these, you're going to counter with those and we're going to trap him. That's what they're going to do, right? They're going to get him. So check this out. They said, so Jesus, which one is the greatest command? Hmm? You know, just kind of can just see, hear the arrogance when they ask it. And he said, well, uh, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Shows up in, X, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 as well. And by the way, there's a second that's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and prophets. So in other words, Jesus says, if if you just obey those two, you love God, you love others, all 613 of those commands, you're going to obey them. Because all of them relate to how you love God or how you love others. And if you really do that perfectly, you're going to fulfill it all. And for us, like we don't even need the Ten Commandments or the 613. We just need these two. Like, how, how are you doing at loving God? You're like, oh, I failed. Okay. How about loving others? Oh, I've failed at that too. Okay. You need a Savior. 
I need a savior. Jesus summarizes them in, in two commands. And ultimately, I told you there's two different groupings of the Ten Commandments, vertical and horizontal. And really, let's just use some of Jesus' language then to divide those up. So the vertical commands are how you love God. Jesus says, love God. They can all be summarized with these two commands, love God and love others. So let's talk about loving God. These first four commands are about loving God and how you relate to God. And now before you write this off and say, well, the, the Ten Commandments don't apply to me anymore, Josh, right? Because we're under grace. Yes, you're under grace. You're not under the law. But there are absolutely principles to be learned from and that uh, guide our ethic and how to live out our identity that are found in the Ten Commandments. So they're, they're helpful for us. Paul told Timothy, all of Scripture is useful in teaching and rebuking and training in righteousness. So this is helpful. Pay attention. Here's the first thing of how to love God. The Lord alone must be worshipped. Don't have any other gods. I tried to write these just maybe in more modern language, if it'd be helpful. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't have any gods. I just worship God. Like, I don't bow down to anything, uh, you know, in, in my house. I don't worship a false god. I worship Jesus. Okay. So then he clarifies in number two, uh, don't make or worship idols. And you're like, again, I don't worship idols. I don't, you know, I'm not like Peter Brady on the Brady Bunch with my tiki god. I don't, I don't worship idols. Well, let's think about this for a second. Do you know an idol is anything, often really good things, that take priority over God in our worship? In other words, in how we express worth to them. And I would argue that all of us, including the guy on the stage, have idols. And we're, we're guilty of idolatry. Here's how you might identify some idols in your own life. Uh, by the way, just as an aside, uh, depending on the tradition you grew up in, uh, the Ten Commandments are numbered a little differently. For instance, in the tradition I grew up in, one and two were actually listed as command number one when I memorized them. And then the last two were combined or were separated out into two, the last one. Here, the first one of that, anyway... Just know it's the same number. It's just how you number it. But let's talk about how do you identify idols in your life? So I'll give you an acronym, okay? Like a good preacher, give you some fill-ins here. First off, and this isn't in your notes, but you might write it down. The I, items can be an idol. Items. In other words, your stuff. Your stuff. Well, what stuff? Well, any of your stuff. Your clothes, your house, your technology, your toys, uh, you know, part of, of shaping and training your kids is helping them uh, not to be idolatrous towards all their stuff. <laughs> you know, we always like to say, oh, don't spoil your kids. In other words, don't make them into an idolater. But you love them and you want to give them stuff, and I'm guilty of doing this, but our stuff becomes an idol, doesn't it? Where we live, that, we got to have that thing. We, we love the new and shiny for me, the items are often technology with a little fruit logo on them. And like, you know what I'm saying though? That's, that's Apple stuff, if you're wondering. What is it for you? What items do you worship above God at times? The next one, uh, the D, you might think of as duties. In other words, things you do. Let me tell you, for me as a pastor... And this can be the same for you as a follower of Jesus or in whatever role you're in. 
the things you do can often uh, be misconstrued in your mind as somehow earning God's favor. And that has to take priority, like doing these things. Like, oh, I, I've, I do, you know, all these things, not really because I'm loving and worshiping God rightly all the time, but really because um, I cherish having the identity as the one who does this. You know? Do you ever fall into that trap? Maybe at work, you're like, I I cherish being the guy that everybody comes to for all the answers. I cherish being the one who sets the schedule, who controls the checkbook. And those duties, those things you do, your actions can become idolatrous. And that can be at home as well or in ministry. Another big one, the O you might think of as others. Others become idolatrous to you. In other words, here's how this plays out. That um, I, I, I love God, but God, I don't uh, want to offend them. So I'm going to be really, you know, just careful what I say here. Now, there's wisdom in, in guarding your speech, right? And in knowing where someone's at to know how to speak to them about spiritual things, but not when it becomes an issue of being ashamed. And we're really, I'm more concerned with pleasing them and having them like me, whether it's one or a thousand people love me and like me, and that becomes idolatrous. Uh, you, you see this, uh, especially among uh, those who are single, you know, the other person can become your idol. Well, if I just had that relationship, if I just had that person, if they just loved me, it can be a mom or a dad, it can be your children. And when you make your children an idol, think about this. You shall have no other gods, no idols before me. When you put your children up above God and everything revolves around them in your life, they're never going to live up to it. They're going to crash and burn. Think about the pressure that puts on your kids to always obey, to always have it right, to be the best athlete, to get the best grades. Don't make them God. It'll crush them. And it'll ruin you. How about this? Items, duties, others, longings. Sometimes it's just the longing for a good thing. You know, longing for uh, that peace, you know, in a, in, in a friendship or in a relationship or uh, for financial stability or whatever that longing is. Not that... And by the way, all of these things so far, are any of them bad things? Is it wrong to have nice stuff? No. Is it wrong to have uh, uh, things that you do that you take pride in, in a good way? No. Is it wrong to love other people and to care about them and what they think and how they're doing? No. Is it wrong to have longings for certain things? No. What's wrong is when that takes the place of God. That's an idol. And we are, we are all little idol factories. We are. Our hearts are idol factories. The last one, uh, this is one you may not think of very often, but is sufferings. Sometimes people find their identity in their suffering. Well, this happened to me, and you don't understand, and you never will. And you're like, you're right, I don't. And I can't. But... Uh, You're refusing God's grace because you're so wrapped up in your suffering that you can't see that Jesus offers to heal that if you just put that aside and 
trust him. He's not saying it didn't hurt. He's not saying it isn't awful. He's just saying, I can heal that. I can help you. Quit finding your identity there as the victim and find it in me as one who's rescued. There's just a little matrix for you to take through and find out if you're like, I don't have any idols. Ah, I bet you do. I bet you do. How about number three? Don't call on the name of the Lord in the wrong way. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You've maybe heard it said, right? In other words, when you call on God, call on him from a right heart in the right way. Sometimes you think of this simply as swearing. I think it can be expanded out even to uh, the things maybe uh, we ask him for. Or uh, re- in, in some ways, we just wrongly, like, we require this of God. Like, you've got to do this. I'm calling on you to do this or I'm not going to be satisfied. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number four, keep the Sabbath by ceasing work on that day. In other words, worship by resting. Do you know there's scientific evidence now that resting regularly, taking a day to rest and reconnect with God, is incredibly restorative. There was a study published about 10 years ago that some communities in California that practiced a regular Sabbath rest, those people lived on average 10 to 15 years longer than everybody else. There was nothing else different about them except that they practiced Sabbath. You're like, I don't have time to Sabbath. Well, you might live longer if you Sabbath. This is one for me I need to do better at. And by the way, uh, the other thing that's important to do, worship by resting, but also might I add worship by gathering together here on a Sunday morning. I commend you if you give up your morning to come and part of resting is resting in worship and resting under God's word. Uh, There was a, a study published in the last week by Lifeway Research that says the average family in the church today attends 1.6 times a month. That's average of the most committed people in the United States that attend church. You know, if we're to grow into all that God wants us to be, you need to be here. Paul says, as you see the day approaching, don't neglect it, but gather together all the more to encourage one another. By the way, we find that to be true of our church. That on average, some of the most committed uh, attend about one and a half to two times a month is the average attendance rate for most people in our church. If everybody showed up on the same morning, you would have some very close friends right now. How about part two? Those are the vertical commands, how to relate to God. Uh, Worshiping him alone, worshiping nothing else, no idols. Remembering and keeping Sabbath. Um, How about number, uh, the second half here, starting at number five. This this second part of the horizontal commands. In other words, love God, now love others. How to relate to others. We'll move through these quickly. First, we see in verse 12, honor your parents. Do you notice, uh, what's the age limit on that? As you look at the text in verse 12, how, how long does Moses say you're supposed to honor your parents? Go ahead. How long? Yeah, as long as they're your parents. You're to honor them. Now that relationship changes as you grow older for sure, right? But you're always to honor them, to respect them, to love them, to care for them. And Paul says, and it says it here too, that, that's like the first command with a promise that if you obey and honor your parents, if you honor them, respect them, your life will go so much better. You'll live longer in the land. You're like, yeah, I, I, I get that. Like 
if, if my kid disobeys me one more time, he's not going to live long in my house. Like, obey your parents, honor your father and mother, and they will live long in the land. That's important, though, friends, to honor your mom and dad. Even, even if your parents are wicked, and some of you do have parents who are, there's still ways to honor them before the Lord. Number six, uh, this is, seems like a no-brainer. Again, all these, don't do this, don't hurt yourself, don't commit murder. Don't kill other people who are made in God's image. Number seven, don't commit adultery. Remember, on these two, Jesus raised the bar, saying murder is when you actually simply hate a brother in your heart, or adultery when you simply lust after another in your heart, you've committed adultery. Don't steal, number eight, in verse 15, you shall not steal. Do I need to expand on that one? Here I will. Don't steal stuff, right? I mean, there's like... But there's, there's a lot of ways you can steal, right? You can steal in your time. You can steal uh, in, in relation. in so many different ways. It's more than just like walking into the store and grabbing a Snickers and putting it in your pocket. It's way bigger than that. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. In other words, don't lie. And finally, don't covet other people's stuff. Be content with what you have. Now, God spoke all of these things to the people. And it says, when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us. Well, listen, don't let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, don't fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Friends, these commands are not to earn God's favor. They're because he's shown you his favor. They're not to uh, squash your fun. When God says don't, what he's saying is don't hurt yourself. And uh, thankfully, because of God's grace, the ultimate command is to repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus. There's no other name in heaven by which you must be saved, Peter preaches in Acts. Have you trusted Jesus Christ? It's because of his life that we can obey. And because of his life, we have this identity. Amen? Amen. Uh, let me pray. We're going to sing and call it a morning. Father, we thank you for Jesus. I thank you, Lord. I, I go through that list, and on number one, I'm out. Number one, let alone the other nine or the other 612 commands that you give. I can never measure up. And Jesus, even after trusting you, I continue to fail. I continue to sin. Yet you show us grace in Jesus Christ. You show us grace, undeserved favor. And uh, you have saved us and you promised to complete the good work that you started in us. And that one day, Jesus, you'll return. You'll put an end to sin. And we'll be with you forever. Not because of anything we've done, but all because of your grace. Would you help us then to make wise choices to choose not to sin and suffer, but to choose to obey and experience as much of your blessing of, of living out that identity as we can this side of heaven. Growing more and more in holiness. 
before a watching world, that they too might come to know you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray all of this through him. Amen.